talking about precipitation I'm talking Father God, he gave Jesus the nations And he's ruling now, even over pagans One day he's coming back, you just gotta have patience hell, King Jesus, King What's up, everyone? This is that Pulse Mill podcast, the show where we make dispensationalists, amillennialists, and premillennialists cringe by ignoring current events and pointing to minor wins of the day as proof for the proper reformed eschatology. Yeah. Uh, this is Dustin <laughs> Raynham on here. We've got uh, we got Adam Moore. Hey, guys. What's up? We got John Howell. Hello. And last and least, we have Colin the Wookie Maker Pearson. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> All right, I thought I'd start it off today with uh, a little proof of uh, post-millennial eschatology. I was super hungry today at the office, and I just happened to uh, reach into my coat pocket and I found a granola bar that I forgot about two days ago. Uh, Save the day, that post-mill right there. Hallelujah, that post-mill. Yes, that, that right. crunchy mill. Hashtag that post-mill. <laughs> Did anything good happen to you guys today? Well, just as I was finishing my first cup of coffee of the day, and I was thinking, man, I'm going to have to go get another coffee here pretty soon, my co-worker walks into my room and says, hey, bro, I got an extra cup of coffee if you want one, hashtag Dapos. What? Now. That post no, hallelujah. <laughs> That's right. Woo-hoo. Things are getting better, guys. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Better. Clearly. I, know, I uh, went to Chuck E. Cheese with, with, with my three-year-old son, and... I, I I wanted a budget. Just had ten dollars. Did ten dollars in tokens. He was out of to- he ran out of tokens. He started throwing a temper tantrum. And as he's throwing a temper tantrum, I found a dollar on the floor. That post mill. <laughs> a dollar. Oh, That's man. right. Things are getting better, guys. Awesome. Things are getting better. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> my example of that post mill is um, just bacon. Oh, that just, post mill. That's it. Just right there. That's yeah, it. that's pretty irrefutable right there. There's, I, I mean, case closed. Yeah, your argument's invalid. Like, you just can't. Bacon wrapped. Bacon. But one could go bacon wrapped bacon. Bacon wrapped coffee? Ooh. They're seriously. <laughs> that would be post mill. A little Caesar's is trying to make a come up, you know, and they're deep dish. They have a deep dish now. I don't know where it's with you guys, but deep dish bacon wrapped yep. pizza. It's that. a bacon wrapped yep. crust. That is up there with the internet and with the printing press, that post mill. Absolutely. Definitely. So how do you guys cook, wow. how do you guys cook your bacon real quick? I heard uh, someone the other day told me that you uh, put bacon in a frying pan and you fill up water until it just covers the bacon and then you just cook it and so the water is all gone and then when it's done, it's done and it's perfect and nice and easy. That's progression right there. I usually cook bacon with... Um, uh... With Guinness. What? <laughs> Candied bacon. Dude, that's amazing, actually. Dude, it's amazing. I need to try it right now. Nice. It is totally dab It's 1030 at night here in Florida, and I'm gonna I'm about to do Guinness bacon right now. That post. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. I usually just put it in an iron, cast iron skillet, but what do you call the, the bacon splatter when it burns your arm? You know what, you know what that's called? Pers- per- per- persecution. No, it's, gonna, it's called angel kisses. That's what... <laughs> <laughs> See now, now I'm confused because I'm freckled, and that's what my grandmother said my freckles were. So now my <laughs> my entire worldview has been uh, challenged, Adam. Oh, that post mill. Hey, there's nothing easy. There's nothing. There's nothing easy about that post mill with bacon. I would say that bacon splatter is is persecution. You know, you have to. Cool. You so you you got to make the right through, bacon through trial. Right? Through trials, we come to the kingdom of God. Yeah. Bacon splatter is a is a sign of the fall, and in, in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no bacon splatter. <laughs> Hmm. It'll all be real nice and crispy. I like it crispy. You know, so. my favorite bacon promises is that uh, in in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no need 
for a man to cook his own bacon. But Ooh. but the Lord, the Lord will cook, will make the bacon. The Lord will cook. There will be so no bacon. more splatter. Yeah, and the bacon will lie down next to the scallop, and it'll wrap itself. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! <laughs> Whoa, that's amazing! No, I was, I was. That's perfect. like second hesitations, right? <laughs> yeah, second hesitation. yeah. Third, 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 third salutation, something like that. You know what I'm looking forward to most uh, when the new heavens and the new earth is is the lack of snow. And I was saying this to somebody else today. I was saying we were getting a lot of snow and cold, very, very cold weather. Um, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, if there was no rain or if there was no sin in the world, then there would have been no rain because God made the, the earth mist. And if there's no rain, there'd be no snow. So whenever I look at snow, I see just little white flakes of man's depravity falling <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> Hashtag that post. <laughs> so I, I went in the snowmobiling trip last weekend, and I was trampling all over it. So that's dominion right there, right? <laughs> oh, underfoot. Yeah, underfoot. <laughs> yeah, putting sin, putting the depravity underfoot. <laughs> well, I must, I, guys. I live, I live on Clearwater Beach, so I live in the, uh, I live in, I guess, the new heavens, new earth, the promising, the promised <laughs> land. That's oh, true. The Gulf Coast is beautiful. That post milk is expanding. Global warming is expanding. The, uh, <laughs> the kingdom. So. Not up in, not up in northeast. <laughs> It takes time. It takes time to get up there. Yeah, I had to roll my window down when I was driving home from work today. Oh man, I couldn't do that. <laughs> Dustin, what, what do you get? What kind of weather you got there, Dustin? Oh, what do we got right now? I think it's uh, oh, it's five. It was it was below zero when I woke up, but it's, it's oh. already warming up to five right now. And oh, it's nine dad, at night. So. I'll tell you what, that dispensational. I got that pre mill with uh, twenty six degrees oh, wow. Fahrenheit. Yep. So, you, so I guess, I guess Dustin's dad Dispy. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> He's dad Dispy, and then Colin, you, since you were only at like sixty degrees, you would be um, that would be Amel. like that Amel, that optimistic Amel, <laughs> optimistic. <laughs> that optimistic. <laughs> Boom, seventy six right now, gentlemen. Seventy six. Wow. Wow, that's yeah, intense. Gorgeous. I'm outside right now, drinking a pina colada at ten thirty, with with, <laughs> with some with some candy Guinness bacon. And a dollar oh, that I found on the sidewalk, that post mill. I've got some bourbon to warm me up. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Cool. Well, let's jump right into it. Let's uh, I think we're going to start with talking about the reign of Christ today. Cool. Even though we still on earth, in heavenly places we're seated. Ephesians 2, you should read it. It's only because we're in Jesus. Well, I don't think some believe it. And I don't think that they see it. They think the church is defeated. But why we call him King Jesus? I can't imagine how on the subject of the reign of Christ, um, there's this passage in Daniel 7, and I'm just going to read it, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it says. So here in uh, chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, most people, when they come to this passage, they assume um, that this is talking about the second coming of Christ. The fascinating thing is, if you really look closely at verse 13, it says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Now, there's only one time in history that Jesus, the Son of Man, came up to the Ancient of Days. 
and was presented before him. Do you guys remember when that was? Yeah, his ascension. Yeah, that's right. So if you go over to Acts chapter 1, here we actually have Jesus on a cloud going to heaven. Here's uh, verse 9. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So this is when, so so Jesus' death, resurrection, and then subsequent ascension, when he ascended, he wasn't just leaving uh for no reason, he was going to heaven to receive a kingdom from the Father, to, to sit on his throne and reign over his kingdom. And this was actually prophesied long ago. If you look at uh, Psalm chapter 110, I'm actually going to read the whole thing, and then we'll talk about a specific part of it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments, and from the womb of the morning the dew of the youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand, he will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath, he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink by the br- drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now, the fascinating thing about this, this is a psalm of David. Um, and frequently, when you see that um, tag, a psalm of David, very frequently there are allusions to the son of David who would come and reign, the son that was promised in the Davidic covenant, the ruler who would reign forever. And in this passage, you see that the Lord, that is God, Yahweh, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And in in all of this is also ruling in the midst of enemies and being a priest. All of these things are all wrapped up together in one concept. Now, we know as Christians that when Christ ascended to heaven, he actually... Uh, does priestly work as a high priest for us, right? But he does, he's not just a high priest, he's also a king. And we'll get, we'll get more into that later, but um, I'm going to go over to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, see, see where this, is, this passage of Psalm 110 is actually alluded to. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. This is, uh, that's uh, verse 15, I'll keep going. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." So there's that mentioning back of Psalm 110, seating at, sitting at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And then it goes on in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we see a, uh, we see a mention of Christ being seated at, in the heavenly places, And having authority, that same authority that we saw back in Daniel chapter 7. Dominion, glory, kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. An everlasting dominion, right? 
And there's one other, there's another place in the New Testament where this passage is, is referenced. It's actually Psalm 110, that first verse there is the, the most quoted Old Testament passage by the New Testament authors. So now at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Paul starts talking to them about the gospel that he preached to them. I'm just going to read this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James... Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to an untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If we were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about the God that he raised Jesus, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're in your sins. Then those who have who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have, hope, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the fa- God and Father, after destroying every royal authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. There's that same quotation from Psalm 110. All of this is a discussion of the gospel that Paul first delivered to them. This is all still under the conversation of the gospel he delivered to them. That's what I think a lot of people miss when they're reading the passages in 1 Corinthians 15, where they they try to limit the gospel to the salvation of mere salvation of souls. Yeah. And they don't they don't include the idea of the gospel of the kingdom or the good news of the kingdom where it's it's more than just about you. It's about Jesus and his reign and his rule um, over the whole world. That's right. Yeah, the, the, the gospel is not just about your personal salvation. All of these things are related. The subjection of all things to Christ is part of the gospel. It's the redemption not just of you but of the world, bringing all things mm-hmm. in subjection. And the fascinating thing about how that takes place is, how, like, think about it for a minute. God is putting all things in subjection under Christ's feet. That's what he's doing right now. But how does he do that? How how does he do that, Colin? Yeah, how does he do that? No, you tell me. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I, I, he doesn't do his... I, I think it's from the, from the passage, it's clear that he does it through his, his spirit-filled people. I think that uh, through the gospel itself. So the gospel has to be more than a ticket to heaven. 
Because if it was just a ticket to heaven, we'd be there as soon as we, right. so, as soon as we came to Christ. But we have we have work to do, um, yeah. here. Yeah, because if you think about it, God could just save everybody He wanted to save, and then you know take them all to heaven, and we'd be done with everything. Dude, instant rapture, bro! Instant For rapture. But not only that, but it it affects it, the gospel necessarily affects the has to affect the culture because of the people who are part of the gospel culture. Are, their lives have been transformed, then then their entire being will be transformed. The way they operate business, the way they relate to one another, the the mercy ministries that they are part of, the the drive that they have to to create beautiful things, um, things that help with just manual labor and industry and things like that. So so when we when we talk about as as post mill people, that the idea that you know this or that is post mill. We're, what we're saying is God is transforming the world um, through His common grace and the preaching of the gospel, and and the world is is coming into subject into subjection under Christ, so that things look more like the Garden of Eden than they do, um, you know, the the thorny ground that was cursed uh, after the fall. Yeah, and the fascinating thing about what is the gospel, as far as it's some people think that it's simplistically just. Uh, you know, preach the gospel so that people can be saved. But that wasn't what Jesus told us to do. He didn't limit it to that. He didn't say, just go save people. And the fascinating thing is that when he gives the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he doesn't just say, go save people, right? Go, Go preach the gospel so that people can be saved. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even start with that. He starts with the authority that he's been given, so Daniel 7, Psalm 110, Ephesians 1, 1 Corinthians 15, these things are all related. The authority that Christ has now is the basis upon which he gives us the command. So because God has put Christ over all things, there's a command that comes after that. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have all the authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So it doesn't stop with just saving people. It's, it's the whole process of discipleship. It's raising pe- training people up in the way of the Lord so that they can then go make more disciples. I think that passage is really important because it, it unlocks understanding to a lot of other verses where people will say, well, isn't Satan the god of this world? Which, if you, if you read the Greek, it's god of this age, aeon. And people people try to ascribe to Satan that he's the one in control and he has the power, and so they like kind of like a two kingdom type of theology. Jesus rules the you know the this time the space outside of the universe, and Satan's running running rampant over the earth right now. But Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, and on earth." And on earth. Yeah. That's it. Satan doesn't have all authority on earth while Jesus has authority in heaven. Christ is in heaven and has all authority in heaven and on earth. Mm. And that's the basis. That's the basis upon which we go. And so we can't just go. We have to therefore go. We have to go because of his authority and in his authority. And that that means that we can expect success because if Christ intends to subject all things to him through the preaching of the gospel— why would we expect ourselves to fail? I think a lot of people do expect them, us to fail. I mean, they. Yeah. Uh, I I think it really comes through, 
And, you know, there are a lot of dispensational, premillennial, non-post-mill people who who are very, very hardcore about preaching the gospel, you know, or preaching, preaching salvation and, and calling people to repentance. And I don't want to take anything away from that. But um, it's, it's not with the expectant hope of a return of a harvest. It's with, you know, the snatching the few firebrands out of the fire mm-hmm. more than more than it's. I expect I expect people to bow the knee to Christ, not just after he returns, but I, I expect it to to look to for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in in the lifetime of people who are living on the earth, not just like after rapture, after the rapture cat, you know, gets rapture. Yeah. <laughs> That's an inside joke. The rapture is a, is a huge selling point for the, the average person who, who just doesn't, doesn't want to do anything. You right. Know, it's a, uh, it's, it's man. Like, I, let me just, you know, I get it. I, I, I used to believe it too. I, I, I get the appeal, you know, um, I, you know, oh, this world's so bad. At least, at least I'm getting out of here. Um, you know, like, uh, like Johnny, like, you know, Dr. Dr. MacArthur, who I love and respect said it's, you know, he sees it as like rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. So, um, and, and I've heard it before too. I've heard, um, I've heard, uh, ambassador of, of, of Crosswind back during his first, his first album, you know, do a little talk on his album saying, you know, that this is. This is like a you know it's a burning ship it's going down and that's the, that that's the mentality but scripture rejects that like there's there's just no way that you can read and look at First Corinthians fifteen and and walk away saying that the gospel is about you you know like Romans right. Romans one says explicitly that the gospel which is foretold before in the prophets and the scriptures is uh, you know talked about with David and all that is concerning his son. It's not concerning us, you know. Yeah. It's so, not the gospel. It's it's not the good news of your personal salvation. It's the, it's the good news of the kingdom. Which, you know, Satan speaking of Satan who who is not reigning but influencing, he the the, the biggest lie I think you can tell a spirit-filled person uh the, the spirit-filled people of God is that the gospel is about them and they don't need to do anything. Right. Um, I mean, because then, you know, <laughs> there, there, there's no work being done. And, and this is, you know, this is why Paul constantly, part of why Paul, notice and the author of Hebrews does it as well. But Paul, in Corinthians and um, Paul throughout Romans, there's this idea that he gives the gospel and gives a, an aspect of the gospel. And then he says, so mature, you, yeah. you, so grow, so grow in the faith. Stop, stop being on the milk, get on the meat, stop being babes. Be mature, because this idea of a of a of a truncated of a limited gospel produce it, it keeps us uh and our, and our culture loves it. It keeps us adolescent. It keeps us immature. You know, I, I got a I got a mailer in the mail the other day from a new church coming in town, and, and the mailer was this really nice graphic mailer, and it had these you know middle aged people on it, which is fine, but and basically said, Hey, come to our church. It's a good place to connect with God and connect with others. And it just had this vibe of, Hey man, like that's all let's, let's come, come to our church. There's, there's no scripture. There's no, no appeal to, to anything. It was just like this cool club that it seems like you could join. My, my question that I, I'm always, 
And I always ask, and it, and it boggles my mind as to, okay, so you're you're a premillennial dispensational person, and you believe that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and only Christ is going to come and return and and rapture everybody out, and then things will do what they do, and then and then the end. Like, why would you want that? I mean, it's almost as if like there's the like this giddy, you know, something bad happens in the news, and then. People seem to get excited. Up, oh, Christ is coming back soon. You know, like they're. It's almost as if like, like they're they're satisfied with the world being really crappy and and satisfied with the fact that m- they believe most people that have ever been born in the history of the universe will have died and gone to hell. It's like why why would you want why would you want it to be that way? Like wouldn't you, like wouldn't God be more glorified by a a total overhaul of His creation? And by a radical re, like rebirth, basically, of creation mm-hmm. and everybody willingly bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and right. and people living together so that they, they love each other, they love God. No more man, will a, a man teach his neighbor, say no to the Lord. Like, why wouldn't you want to live in a paradise like that? I don't understand it. It seems like a sort of escapist mentality, that the concept that just like everything around me seems to be going so badly that it's too much work. It it would take too much effort. I mean, it w- we couldn't do it in a generation. It would take several generations of hard work to actually turn things around by the power of God, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit changing people's hearts through the preaching of the gospel. Like, it, it still requires hard work. And people are lazy and people don't like hard work. And so it's easy to just say, well, th- since things are going bad, you know, like, you know, hopefully everything will just sort of like, you know, come to an end soon. But, you know, that's that's just not what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to, you know, put our hand to the plow. If you, if you, you know, take your hand off the plow, you're not worthy. The funny thing is, uh, like every couple hundred years, God comes along and like kicks us in the butt and says, oh, look, here's a reformation. Here's the right. mo- movable type printing press. Here's the Internet. Here's, um, you know, here's... Uh, air travel or whatever, you know what I mean? Like here's like all these things that I'm putting into your, into your path, even going back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years where we've seen many reformations or we've seen many, um, revivals turning back and like this momentum that, that God provides his people. And it's like, we, we ride that for a little bit of time and then we kind of go back to, Oh, look, the world's getting worse again. And yeah. there's there's just constant constant reminders to me like the fact that the internet exists means that everybody in the whole planet can hear the gospel at, on the same day. Yeah, like that that could happen. Can you imagine like just just think back for a minute how long it took Paul to get a few churches planted between him and Spain, between Jerusalem and Spain? Like how long it took like his the rest of his life basically to do that missionary work, to go f- to go from where he was in Jerusalem to Spain. Now, if we wanted to, we could fly from Jerusalem to Spain in like a couple hours. Dude, are you taking us to Spain? That'd no. Awesome. <laughs> that wow. would be awesome. Right. <laughs> but the other, the other thing that baffles me too is like, where do people get the idea that the Great Commission is about saving individual people and that that satisfies, you know, the call? The, does it satisfy the command to disciple a few people here and there along the way before the end of the world comes. That's not the picture that the Great Commission gives us. He says, disciple the nations. I have all the authority, disciple nations. So if we're supposed to disciple all the nations, hmm. that I mean, that's a goal for us. 
Yeah, we haven't even touched on the teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you part either. Like, yeah, no. Let, let alone that part. We're just you know preaching the gospel to a few people here and there, let alone discipling the nations, and then let alone teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Preaching, preaching to a few people, I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, that's, that's a good commission. You know, that's an okay, okay commission. <laughs> good enough for government work. Now, if it's the great, then ugh, we, we have work to do. But if, you know, yeah. I don't know. And, and really, if you think about it, like, um, I know I have some friends who are like really into international mission stuff. And so they just like really know what's going on all over the wor- world and are pursuing getting into that sort of thing. Um, working, working in the ministry, um, as a missionary to other other nations, actually going and putting their hand to the plow in that regard. And um, a fascinating thing about what is going on in the other world, like the, the expectation that people have is that disciple all the nations means get a few people from every nation and and that that's good that satisfies it but that's not what that's not what you see that's not what you see happening you get these missionaries who they finally get they finally start to understand uh the a, a culture well enough to know uh where the idols are in the culture and how the gospel needs to be presented to them and in a way that they'll understand that the way they're living their life is not is not satisfactory and that they need to turn their life around realize that they're going to hell because of the wickedness that they live in and realize that they have to change the way they live to the way that God intended for them to live. Like when, when somebody actually does that in small tribes in, in Africa or uh, Papua New Guinea, you don't see, you know, two or three people coming to Christ. You see like the whole tribe have a revival and there's only a few people who don't convert. You know, I think you just gave me an idea. I'm going to call what we were talking about before the just trying to save a few people. I'm going to call that the so-so commission. Okay. Or like the, the, okay, the or the or the okay commission. The acceptable commission. <laughs> That's great. Uh, it is, as Adam said, it's a great commission, not a so-so commission. But uh, go ahead and uh, uh, stay with us, and we'll be right back. King Jesus. I can't imagine how folks feel. They don't know that this host real. They don't know about post mill. His enemies are just roadkill. And that's so real. Yeah, that's so real. Christ Jesus is dominating like Carmelo at Oak Hill. And this ain't high school. King of Welcome back, everyone, to that post mill podcast. Uh, again, this is John. I'm here with Adam. I'm here with Dustin. I'm here with Colin. And we are discussing in our first podcast. If you, if you just if you've been with us, you know that we just discussed the reign of Christ. He's ruling now, and we believe that that has everything to do with the culture. As Adam pointed out last segment, it's not a so-so commission. It is a great commission. Um, so we want to touch on cultural things here with the, with that postmo podcast. We have we have plans to you know um, most of us here have a music background, so there's going to be music reviews and um, things coming down the pipe, book reviews, and uh, we really want to support the arts and the arts with excellence. But also sometimes we need to talk about things in culture that aren't art, things that the culture says is art, but. We would declare, and we could declare dogmatically with conviction, that that is not art. And we can do that because God is the source of every good and perfect thing. It comes from Him. Art is uh, held, um, the standard of what is beautiful is found in God Himself, who is the source of beauty. His law, His life, His liberty, um, 
everything that we know about that comes from him and it belongs to him. Anyway, so we're going to talk about something that is not art. And this thing that is not art is being paraded and applauded today as if it is art. And that is, a, I don't even know if you can call it a film because film is a, is a, is a, a, a venue for art. It's a, it's a means through which it's an artistic expression, but it is called 50 Shades of Grey. In this movie, I know that, man, there's uh, many, many opinions on this. It's kind of, uh, it, it's really telling the, the amount of heat that this topic is getting, that this, the attention that this movie, the book, of course, got the attention, which is why they made the movie. Um, in, in our culture, it's a, it's a book and it's a movie, and at the same time, it's just it's just really not art. And I'm not alone in thinking that. Um, we have there's a there's a wonderful website that I do recommend called gospelspam.com, and gospelspam did a blog, an article, not not just on Fifty Shades of Grey. And we do have a lot of those articles. You'll find some really great stuff out there. And um, but this blog article is about. Um, plugged in, which plugged in is a, a website uh, that's run by uh, Focus on the Family, but they do a lot of movie reviews and, and things like that, and, and uh, some of their stuff, I, uh, some of their stuff, I really like to be honest with you. And this, I think this article on Gospel Spam does acknowledge that. But this um, this article on Gospel Spam pretty much calls out Plugged In for doing a review. Of Fifty Shades of Grey, and they give a couple reasons for that. And one reason, which we've already discussed, is that it's not art. Um, and by doing a review on it, it seems to give attention to it. Um, and I guess you know, Colin or Adam or Dustin, do, do, do you guys think that uh, gospel spam in making an accusation? Not, and not, I don't want to say accusation; that's a little strong. But basically, critiquing plugged in for the simple fact that they're sending a, a person to the movie to watch it. And their argument would be that, well, it's not art. It's actually, it's, it's, it's sin to see it. And the biggest thing is that you're, you're basically kind of redeeming it and calling it and giving it credence as art just by the fact that you're giving it attention as an art or review site. What, what, do you guys think that gospel spam is going too far there? Do you agree? What, what do you guys think? I think they have a really good point, something that people don't usually think about when they uh... – when they when they think they, they we think of films as you know just something that you watch, but in reality, like you said, film is a medium of art, um, an expression either of truth, like documentaries, or or an expression of uh, of artistic license and and storytelling. And by by writing a review, I think you, you can correct me if I'm misunderstanding, but by by writing a review, uh, plugged in would be actually implying that Fifty Shades of Grey is a film, a form of art that needs to be critiqued rather than saying this is not art, we are not going to consider this even a true film in the sense of that. But I don't I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to think through because just people don't think that way. Yeah, the uh yeah, I agree with that. Like Gospel Spam, they actually quote the beginning of see plugged in um Gospel. This article is called uh, again. Let me actually. I didn't even give the name of the the blog. Let me be fair. On gospelspan.com, it's called "Focus on the Fantasy: How Plugged In Has Become Unplugged." So if you guys want to look that up, 
online. Um, since it's, since since we're talking about it here, we'll probably we might put a link up on the page. I don't know, but um, they do quote though, and uh, an apologetic blog they call it because the critic for Plugged In um, and anticipated getting pushback for reviewing this film, which Gospel Sam says is pornographic. And that's where they start. Porn, pornography is not art. And we'll talk about that a little bit in, in a second. But this pornographic film that they're going to review for us, they, they anticipated getting some, some fire for it, getting, getting a little, in a little bit of trouble. So they did it like a preemptive uh, strike, as Gospel Spam calls it, and did an apologetic blog, which there's a link to on the site. But they quote the beginning. There are nine, and this is from the uh, plugged in preemptive uh, basically giving reasons and to, to why it's right for them to review Fifty Shades of Grey. And it, starts, it says this, There are nine little words at the top of our site, shining a light on the world of popular entertainment. They've been there ever since I've been here. In fact, they've been the central premise of our mission from the very beginning. And Fifty Shades of Grey is, without question, one of the most popular, and that's in quotes, popular, Elements of popular entertainment right now. A movie at the center of conversation in countless break rooms and living rooms and even churches across the country. And then the, 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 at the end of this quote, it comes back to Gospel Swam says this, and I think this is pretty powerful. There is a reason why this pornographic film is being talked about in break rooms and living rooms and even churches across our country. Because people are perverts. Pornography has become a scourge not only on our nation but specifically upon the American evangelical church. Church members, both male and female, sit in pews Sunday after Sunday, pretending to be spiritual as they continue to harbor a secret love of pornography. And then it gets into how children are being exposed to this and there needs to be a bigger response from the church. Um, But I think that that's pretty strong. I think that's pretty bold of gospel spam to go there. And I guess... Uh, the, the the question which we started we started to discuss is is gospel spam going too far? Colin doesn't think so. Adam, do you have any do you have any thoughts on that? Or no, I, I but I I did like I, I don't know if it was <clears throat> I don't know if it was in the on their Facebook page or in the article, but they were saying like the reason why they're not reviewing the movie because gospel spam also reviews things is because they don't review they don't review porn. So like you wouldn't review like a straight up. A, a movie classified as a pornography movie, or you wouldn't you wouldn't review like it, like the film like ISIS beheading people, you know, like you wouldn't review that as a film, even though it's like, you know, maybe twenty minutes or an hour long diatribe or whatever. What's wrong with the West? Like you wouldn't review it because it's not in and of itself art. It's just it's sin for sin's sake and for the and for the um for the fleshly um interests of the people that are watching it I, I and i find it so hilarious if it if it weren't said it would be so hilarious the fact that that the, the original books were actually written as twilight fan fiction and one of the main critiques from even worldly reviewers is the fact that it's so poorly written it's a it's a travesty of prose perpetrated on humanity just the fact that it's so badly written and so in and, and the fact that it's so popular just demonstrates the fact that same thing with regular pornography they they you know the the joke is about the bad lighting and the bad music but it's really not about the lighting and the music it's about the sex and so that's it's the same thing with this it's not about the story it's not about um it's not even it's not even about the characters it doesn't matter how bad they are it's just about the sex and so 
that's that's what appeals to the sinful flesh, and therefore it's extremely popular. Yeah, uh, you, you bring up a good point. Like uh, a point that the gospel spam seems to be making, and, and they mentioned strip club in, in there, but I kind of would add to it. Like it's as if because all right. Because Adam, what you said is profound, and what you said is because now pornography, this, this movie is not being categorized as pornography. It's it, it seems like they're they're justifying being able to review it, um, and it's kind of like saying, well, this strip club down the street, they started serving. The, I heard that they serve really good food, and I gotta I gotta review the food, so I gotta I gotta go. You know, it's kind of like that kind of thing. Yeah, Hooters is on the borderline with that one too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Hooters doesn't have good food anyway, but. Um, guess who's not going to sponsor that post mill? What, what? All right. So we have, um, this, this idea though, that 50 shades of gray is a rated R movie in the same theater as Peter Jackson's latest Lord of the Rings movie or the latest DreamWorks animation or, you know, anything like that. It's given the same ratings as some, uh, as some really great, awesome films. And I think that says a lot. Um, I think that says a lot about what's going on in our culture. And um, if uh, I was going to talk about this at the end, uh, it, but Rush Dooney um, wrote a little book called Law and Liberty. And in that book, he has a chapter. And the chapter is called The Politics of Pornography. And it's about four or five pages. It's not very long, but it is full of some, some really powerful stuff. And um, I found this... Uh, about 12 or so years ago when I first read Law and Liberty, this chapter stuck out to me above everything else. Um, because probably because as, as a young man, I didn't think there was a really – porn is bad, but it's not that big a deal. Well, Rush Dooney makes some points here that um, biblically speaking from a Christian worldview, pornography is not just some isolated sin. And it's not about, uh, uh, it's not about nudity. Uh, it's not even about sex. It's about – something bigger than that. And uh, pornography hates morality. You notice that um, in, in pornography, there is storylines that really, revo- popular storylines include adultery, cheating, um, casual sexual encounters, um, you know, uh, th- th- things like that. And basically, like, there's this, there's this politic or this uh, desire to do away with monogamy. There's, a, there's this desire to do away with morality. There's this desire to do away with anything um, that has to do with, with, with a covenant family. And so there's this political agenda to, uh, to, to go against morality. And not only do they hate morality, but also they glorify evil as good. So, so it becomes a, like a contradiction. If I can go to just another, another article I want to recommend on truthdig.com. Uh, Chris Hedges, who's a very well-known um, author and, and journalist, writes an article about Fifty Shades of Grey. But he he does what I, what what this segment is aiming to do, and that is using Fifty Shades of Grey to get to the bigger issue of pornography itself. And he quotes Robert Jensen, and Robert Jensen, um, an intellectual, says that pornography is what the end of the world looks like, quote unquote. And this, I find this interesting that these are liberal scholars who recognize that there is something really, really bigger about porn than just the sex and just the actual nudity. But there is a revolution to undo uh, morality itself and to glorify evil as sin. So what we see is that, according to Rush Dooney, and I think the, the law of God and, and God's word would back us up on this, and that is that pornography 
being such an industry, being able to get now their works in our mainline cinemas where our kids go to watch movies, um, being hailed not as pornography anymore, but as art and as just a regular thing. I have Christian uh, Christians telling me how what a great love story is in Fifty Shades of Grey and all this thing. There's so much wrong there that it must be what Rush Dooney says it is, and that is a revolution. Uh, a revolution. It's not about free speech, which is what por- porn advocates always talk about, the liberation of pornography, um, how it's freedom of speech. But here's what um, – th- there's a new breed of feminist that – hails that porn is this freeing thing. It's, it's liberating to women. It gives women this, uh, the sexual expression that, that has been held back from them from, from patriarchism or whatever. But there is a, um, let me, I'm looking for, there is a feminist who, who did the work, Andrea Dworkin. And here's what she says about the, the feminists who think that, uh, pornography is, good or that it's freeing. She writes that the new pornography and this feminism, I could say in the context, is a vast graveyard where the left has gone to die. The left cannot have its whores and its politics too. So we have this idea that uh, pornography just really wants to see the world burn. It's this anarchism. It's a rebellion against all that is God's law, all that is moral, all that is right. And on those lines, it redefines sex. Sexuality is connecting. Sexuality is, is a gift from God to express for us to flourish, for us to multiply, for us to, to express our love to our spouses. And um, But that's not at all what we see in pornography. Pornography is just simple, gross, grotesque acts that actually have nothing to do with connecting and with flourishing, which is what sexuality is all about biblically. We also see that humanity itself is redefined by pornography. Humanity, biblically, is the, uh, the human body, let's just say. The human body is the vessel that contains the image of God. It is to be honored. It is to be taken care of. It has creative abilities. It has, uh, you know, basically the ability, the gift to reflect all that is good and holy because God has made man to be that, to worship him, to have connection with him and with one another. Well, pornography says the human body is nothing more than an instrument, nothing more than a, a pleasure factory for, for, for the self and for, for this and that. And there's details on that that we get into, but we won't. But the point is, is that this movie, Fifty Shades of Grey, seems to be a victory for pornography. It, it, it has pornography in the cinema when pornography, if it's going to be around at all, needs to be in the alleyways. It needs to be in basements. It needs to be on the black market. It should be on the black market. Yes, like abortions, right? It should be the people should be ashamed of it, but instead they're celebrating it. Yeah. It and pornography ultimately is an attack on the family because what what is the foundation of family? How does family even come to be? Sex. And so by redefining human sexuality um in a way that makes it grotesque and dis- disgusting it's an attack on the family family and therefore an attack on the church and an attack on the state. And that's why it's anarchism is it starts from the foundation of all government and, and just destroys it all, all the way up. Mm. You know, and there's actually, um, in the sixties, there were, there, there were talks about this idea that, um, we really need to do away with this family, this, this type of family. 
um, because it's it's really not profitable for the powers that be if they want to if they want people to be workers and irreplaceable parts in consumerism. It's really not. It's it's really a competition if they have a love and appreciation for family more than they do for 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 their agenda. Um, and Rush Dooney also brings this up as well in in his little chapter there. Um, but that's actually something that's been talked about. And and historically, um, you we can see that total, totalitarian states, um, pornography has paved the way for many of them. That when the people fall into into pornography, they pretty much are just giving up. Um, mm-hmm. There's really nothing n- n- nothing else for them to live for. By by the way, t- uh, eight out of ten nations that are that are uh, the highest in terms of por- pornography consumption. Do you guys have any idea? Maybe. Uh, what those are? Take a stab at it. To guess the top eight. Yeah, we guess the top eight, sure, or top five, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to guess. Are they the communist ones? Uh, I'm just close. guessing. Close. Um, eight of the ten are Islamic states. Wow. Seriously. And that blew my mind. Yeah. So that's crazy. And, and we can get more on that. I'm sure that. Uh, we're running out of time. I'm sure that's something that um, I should probably go ahead and just focus on and put on the site. So I'll, I'm going to commit to that here on air, and, and I'll actually put that stat up on the site. But real quick, um, but, but yeah, before before we wrap up that segment, did you do you guys see Russell Brand's um, video clip about him denouncing pornography? Did you happen to see that? No, no. it was Who crazy. That? Like that, he, that's surprising to me because Russell yeah. Brand. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it, Russell it just. Brand. It, uh, the actor, he was in the movie Get Him to the Greek, um, Saving Sarah Marshall. He's a comedian from... He's the British... the British, uh, British very lanky, scrawny kind of guy. It's okay. like, oh, I'm, Bru- I'm Russell Brand. I, I play the guitar and, and I'm funny. Like, I don't know. You, you know exactly who he is if, you, if you've seen him. Um, okay. He... Um, but anyway, he it's you know he was married to Katy Perry and drug addict and everything, and almost every single word that came out of his mouth in like a six minute video was talking about was was almost like biblical, like the fact basically kind of coming at it from like a scientific perspective, what it does to your brain, but like how it's just not natural, like it 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 replace it dehumanizes people, it it goes against like just natural relations between. Uh, husband and wife and things like that. It, it was it was unbelievable. Wow. And my and my thought is like, man, even like you know the blind squirrel gets a nut once in a while. And it was like I could not believe how uh, salient and and lucid he was speaking on an issue where you would you would think would be nothing but darkness and nothing but spiritual blindness. But it's 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 crazy when I'm watching. There's multiple TED talks that you can find about the evils of pornography. Wow. There's um, an unchristian, a non-Christian Reddit group that that is dedicated toward. Um, oh, is that uh, Lo- Love Takes Two? No, it, it's called wow. No Fap. Actually, um, oh, wow. is the is the name of the thread, and it's like just non-Christian support group for people who want to um, be more chaste. I guess is a polite way to say it. And and so it, it's interesting that like even in the midst of a perverse society, there's like these, these little shoots of, of green of life of, of like God's common grace, just like just spreading its way through society to try to fight back. Cause the, cause the churches aren't really doing it yeah. because, because the church leaders and the church members are involved in it as well. So, yeah, I think the thing that 
I think the thing about um, the, even the secular culture is starting to realize the very, very strong connection between the pornography industry and the human trafficking industry. It's, it's, a, it's a connection that is so strong, in fact, that if pornography were completely outlawed, sex trafficking would be re- reduced by almost 90%. Adam got me on something. If we can just think that the scriptures speak a lot about, about these issues. And Romans 1, speaking of like Russell Brandt, uh, speaking the truth about pornography, we see in Romans 1.18 that the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immoral God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. Now listen to this. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, which is all that pornography really shows us, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It goes on and on and on. But the point is, is that there's this idea that Russell Brand demonstrates, and that is that being image bearers, I don't care how hostile to God you may be, you deep down most of us don't want to give up the benefits of God's law. You know, we, we, we have great benefits here in America and in the West, despite our wickedness. And I don't know how long uh, that, 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 will, that will continue, but we have great benefits of freedom and, and liberty. Um, it's not perfect, and there's a lot of wickedness, and it seems to be getting worse. But we do have benefits, and pornography seeks to bring anarchy. And nobody, nobody wants actual anarchy. You know, some people do, but most people that are supporting, uh, here's pornography. Pornography will get you because you don't understand what it is and you, and you think it's just about pleasure and this and that. And that's bad theology, but, uh, pornography will get you because of addiction. Um, there, and there's a lot of, uh, agencies that are, that, that work in the church too, about the addiction because of what it does, what it does to you. And pornography will get you through all sorts of things. But never with truth. The truth is, is that pornography wants to see the world burn. <laughs> that the pornography wants to see God out of the picture. Pornography wants to wants to deceive you and think it's about freedom of speech and things about liberty. When really they are human trafficking and they are addic- making people addicted and they are tearing up families. There's a survey done a while ago. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see it done again because I'm sure it's even higher. But uh, the the number one reason men gave for why they committed adultery was because they believed that they were missing out on life. And that's what Rush Dooney says pornography does too. Pornography says that evil is life, is living. That's the only way to truly be happy. And the only way that pornography can convince you of this is if you don't know scripture, if you don't understand the biblical worldview, that there's a much better world. There's a much better idea. And that is that God has given life and liberty. He has given... He, the good news of his kingdom has come. He's ruling and reigning in his son. Um, his, his spirit-filled people have can have freedom from all addictions and bondages, both political, um, spiritual, all, all those things. Um, but pornography is kind of the epitome in our culture 
of this manifestation of rebellion against God's law. And Russell Brand, that is so intriguing. I need to see that because that just really screams Romans 1 because he, he, he might not glorify God as God, but he knows him. Like, like Sai says, uh, like the apologist says that, you know, I don't believe in atheists. <laughs> like no one truly does not believe in God because they can speak a language. They have linguistics. They have all these things. They, they wait in line patiently at a busy supermarket with a gallon of milk, showing that they presuppose order. They, pre- they presuppose some sort of safety and security that their worldview that they profess does not allow for, does not justify. And by the way, nobody really wants anarchy because the if they say they want anarchy, what they really want is themselves to be the king. So just autonomy kind of like, is the goal. Yeah, autonomy. Yeah. It's not it's not true anarchy. So just a little side that, note. That's well, a freebie. That's, Adam, you're inspiring me, man, because that is like the carrot that's dangled that we'll never get. Like sin dangles that carrot of autonomy, but it's something that's impossible. It's logically impossible. It's, it leads only to absurdity. So. That's why there's no neutrality. There, there is something's going to reign over you. And if you think it's yourself, it's not. You might be deceived for a little bit thinking that it's yourself, but it's really not. And pornography is a carrot that dangles, says, look, you can have your own sexual expression. You can be yourself. You can have freedom. But really, oh, you can't hold a relationship and you can't go a day without thinking about perverse things. And you, you, you're human trafficking, or if you're involved in making the movies, you're being drugged and manipulated through anger and fear, and you're broken. And um, Pornography is a lie. It's a carrot. There's no such thing as autonomy, but you can be ruled uh, by sin and by lust, which eventually leads to absurdity and death. Or you can have life in Christ, who is the, the unique Son of God. He's worthy to be the Son of God through His death and resurrection. And the new kingdom has come in him. And, and you can be in, you, we invite you now in that post mill. We, we, we let you know that it's a command that you as a created being can know Christ and come to him, um, repent and believe in Jesus Christ, who's the king of all the nations and definitely the king of you. Um, and leave this world, leave, leave, leave this way of sin and, and rebellion. You know, it's not getting you anywhere. But anyway, yeah, pornography. Fifty Shades of Nay. There's a reason why we called it that segment, and it's just there, there's just a, a lot of things going on. Keep keep posted with that post mill as uh, my my ministry inside Shalom and that post mill are going to be partnering up to do do some things about that. I think maybe just one thing to end on with that is a, a call to Christians to um, remember that it's God that defines um, what is good and what is bad. I, I see. Uh, on that focus on the family article, a lot of the comments were talking about, um, you know, the rating system and, oh, it's, you know, I wouldn't watch it, but, you know, I wouldn't watch it PG-13. And there's just so much based on what how the world defines, um, you know, the levels of uh, what people can handle and what's good and, you know, what's, what's to the extreme. And because they don't classify it as porn, they can say, oh, well, you know, it's just rated R. It's no different, mm. like you said earlier. It's no different than any other rated R movie that's out there. But we need to, as Christians, know that we're getting our foundation from Scripture and what does Scripture teach us. And, you know, if the world comes to define what we would consider rated R to be, you know, PG-13 in the next five years, you know, we need to have our own standards and say, you know, as a father, I'm not going to let my 13-year-old see this, not because it's meant for an 18-year-old, but because God mm-hmm. says this is not meant for anybody. So just, wow. I think Amen. we need to help encourage each other to not uh, not give in to the the temptations of, well, you know, the, the culture saying this and the, the rating system says this and, you know, all my, all my Christian friends are, are, you know, going along with it. So it must not be that bad. And, uh, it's just the, it's just, it's just, you can see it's just a downward 
downward spiral as the rating systems continue to change. And you see, you know, even things that are on network television today that's they would never show 15 years ago or even 10 years ago. So we got to just remember to, you know, encourage each other to um, get our value and how we understand what's good and what's what's bad from from scripture and not from whatever the the culture um would uh would deem what is good and what's wrong unless you know one day when the culture changes and supports a biblical system then we can then we can start going along with it yeah and and man that's so good dustin i think that's a, a that's a reminder that that we all need um it's so easy for us being entrenched and being raised in this culture that's why it's so important i think every day um to, to, to really heed your your advice that we need to be reminded. And that's why no matter what kind of, where you're at, no matter how old you are, spirit-filled person of God, member of, of the kingdom, please get into the scriptures because the Holy Spirit speaks through the scriptures. Um, and the scriptures, I mean, everything from pornography, as we talked about, to, to the reign of Christ, it's all connected. So, well. This is that post mill. Go ahead. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. Psalm 2 and 12. Kiss the son of Paris. If you're waiting for him to come and reign in your era. On the throne of David, the Savior's already there. This is something that some in the church are not aware of. All right, guys. There's something else I want to talk about kind of to end, to, to wrap up everything with. Um, there, what I've been seeing a lot on the internet recently is, is a lot of like the, the, the Lone Ranger mentality. And we take a look at, um, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. And, uh, I got to fight my, my memorization in King James English, but so I'm going to read you the ESV version, not to, not neglecting to meet together is as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what I think what is was prevalent what what's always been prevalent people trying to to not abide or to fellowship and commune with the body of Christ and kind of going off and doing their own thing and and with the internet now I, th- I think it's a lot easier for people to do to feel like they're plugged in via podcast via online community and I found a lot of great help online as as far as community but nothing nothing can actually replace being plugged into a local body community. We have, we have people, um, who are, who kind of seem fine on the surface. They, they can say the right things. They can hide behind their, their computer screen. But, but unless you are, um, under the, the rule of, of an elder, under the teaching of the word from somebody who, who knows you and can, can actually come to your house and, and meet with you and pray with you, um, you're really not going to to be able to grow in a meaningful way, because you have extricated yourself from the source of of spiritual growth, which are the means of grace, which is uh, the community and fellowship with with your fellow um, believers. And so uh, maybe I thought we'd talk about that real quick um, about what it means to live in community. You guys have any ideas about that? Like you said, dude, just word and sacrament, man. Every week, got to be doing it. Yeah, and what I, with the type of thing that I've noticed is is that for some reason I, I feel like, especially recently, like my pastor is like preaching at me. You know, like the the things that are going on in our the, the life of our church and in in the lives of the men that are there, and and I feel like um, I'm able to I'm able to follow up with questions, and 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 I, I feel like 
if if I'm not a part of of my local community, um, it you're just lone you're just a lone ranger, you're a lone wolf out there, and and we are we are made to live in community with one another. Somebody said I forget if it's it's a song. I don't know if it's Stephen the Levite, possibly something like that. Says we live in community because our God is a community. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really interesting way to put it. Not not yeah. quite the same, but we still have this this idea that we are meant to live in harmony with one another. And uh, and so I just want to encourage everybody to to not forsake the assembling of yourselves. And even if you don't have a, a local community that preaches that post mill. Um, there's still communities out there that that love love Jesus and and preach the gospel and and want to um and want to be t- together with you and and serve the Lord together. So yeah, a wise man once told me, if you don't live close to a good church, move. It's more important yeah, for really. you to be. It's more important for you to be in fellowship with believers and under the teaching and authority of the Word of God um, and the eldership of the church uh, than the convenience of a good job or a nice place to live. So, Oh yeah. My, my pastor just, just gave somebody who moved away. Like the, the idea, like don't, when you move, they're moving away for a job. When you move, don't get your house and then look for a church, rent for a little bit, stay like in a hotel. If you have to look for a church and then move close to your church. Yeah. That's a great idea. That that kind of, that kind of dedication to the community too is, is a, a big, a big ne- thing that's necessary for the for us to be able to do the work of the ministry, for us to be able to do to to preach the gospel, to to demonstrate it in our society, we need to be in community. We need to be in church. So it's uh, it's really non negotiable. You know, um, that it's it's you're not going to find any anything in scripture other than the the, the early church, like Acts two forty two through the end of the chapter, for example, where they're giving themselves not just a word and sacrament, but to one another um, in a day to day thing. It wasn't just Sundays, it wasn't just Wednesdays, but every day they were together. So that starts with becoming a member of a church, serving, serving, giving yourself to the church, and by doing that, you will be fed, you will be taken care of, because um, I mean that. That, that's what pastors and, and the teachers and evangelists and prophets are for. They're for the equipping and caring, feeding the sheep of Christ. So um, if you feel disconnected, connect. Get in now. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening to Dat Post Mill Episode 1. Uh, if you want to connect with us on Facebook, you can find the page, uh, Dat Post Mill, D-A-T-P-O-S-T-M-I-L. You can find us at Dat Post Mill 1L. You can find us yeah. at datpostmill.com as well and uh, follow us on Twitter at datpostmill. And the meat Jesus said that the earth they shall inherit. Some think it's getting worse for how Jesus removed the curse. He has dominion from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. Now he's reigning from heaven. May all the kings bow down before him and all nations serve him. Psalm 72 11. This is an anthem, this song is not an apologetic This is a song that lets you know Christ is king cause I read it If you want a debate, name a time and place and we'll get it The progression of the kingdom of God is where my head is A post-millennial age is where we're headed Christ is conquering the nations, yeah I said it Jesus the Messiah brought the expected kingdom on time and as planned He is seated and reigning now 
His kingdom will grow in history through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. The world will experience the transformational blessings that peace with God brings. Jesus will return for the resurrection of the just and the unjust after, after all His enemies are put under His feet in victory. The last enemy is death.